Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. so good to see all of you. I'm grateful for you. As the bumper's playing, I'm just looking at you, and I'm just thanking God for you to assemble here and to worship corporately, and I'm just grateful for you. If you're joining us online, thank you as well for being with us today. We're grateful for you, and um, church, at this time, I would just ask that you would get out a Bible or your Bible app, your study guide, the back of the worship guide, and just follow along, but go to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, verse 16. We're going to be in a lot of places today, but we're going to kind of anchor a bit in that verse. We're, we're in this series that we've entitled Reasons to Believe, and what we're doing is looking at some of the difficult questions that the world, our culture, society may ask of Christians. We're not looking at all of them. We're looking at some of them. Last week we looked at, we began with this, um, is there a God... And this week we're going to build upon that, and we're going to ask this question. Here's the question we're going to look at today. We've, I've looked at this question, I think, several years ago, and we're going to continue because this is, this, is, this is a great question. Here's the question. Can I trust the Bible? That's the question. Is it true? Okay? If, if there is a God, and one of the primary ways in which, not the only, but the primary way in which God has revealed himself is the Bible, how do I know it's actually trustworthy? How do I I know if it's true? That's a great question. That is a good question. That is an absolute great question. You don't need to fear that question. It's a, it's, a, it's a reasonable question. It is. Because the Bible actually claims to be the very word of God. That's its claim. Now, that's, now, 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 now you're, Man, I get it. We're, we, I believe that you, you, most of us here would probably claim to be Christians, and you've probably heard that statement made a lot. The Bible is the Word of God. It's, it's the actual Word of God. But honestly, that's a, that's a really big claim to make. It's a big claim. But that is exactly what the Bible claims, right? It's what the Bible says. Um, roughly 415 times in the Old Testament, it says, thus says the Lord, or I can paraphrase, this is what God says. It says that, actually, 415 times. 415 times, this is the actual word of God. That's the Old Testament, it says that. What about the New Testament? You know, well, there's several places in the New Testament, but I want us to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Timothy puts it, or in 2 Timothy puts it this way. Check it out. Let me just read this to you. All scripture is, here's the word, God breathed. 
And yeah, come on, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, we could talk a lot about that, but I want us to specifically, church, if you can look at that word, God breathed. That's an, that's an interesting word. In, in the Greek, it is theonostros, and it literally means breathed out by God, or simply, it's all God breathed. That's the, the Bible. The, the ideal of the Bible is the breath of the almighty, living, sovereign, creating, gracious God, right? It's breathed out by God. It is not God breathing into man's words. It is not God breathing into man's thoughts. According to the word of God, according to the Bible, according to what it claims, according to what it says, it is God breathing out his words, all right? That's the Bible. We believe the Bible is God's breath we believe God wrote every word of it. He gave it, he revealed it, and what God wants to say is what he placed into the Bible. All right, that's what we got. And it's easy for me to say. It is so easy for me. I mean, if I'm in church, I say that. You know, 100, 200 people, amen, amen, amen. I go, I go say that down on the corner street, and I get, well, I don't get amens, I'll tell you that. You know, we don't, because it's a big claim to make. And you may very well go, okay, oh, I get it, I get it. I get that the Bible, I understand. The Bible actually claims to be the word of God. It claims it. If you read it, it claims it. But here's the deal. We all know people claim stuff, don't make things true. Just because you claim something don't mean it's true. <laughs> I, told, I told you this story about a year ago. I don't know. Man, I was on Instagram, man. On my Instagram, they throw up, they throw up tailor-made, I don't know, advertisement advertisements, whatever you want to say, okay? For me, you know, they're like, evidently, I need a new pillow. I have no idea. So it came up, the world's greatest pillow. That's the claim that it made. It said, you buy this world's greatest pillow, you're going to have the world's greatest sleep. And I thought to myself, uh, that, that, it's, it's, it's on social media, so it must be true. So I purchased it. I purchased that pillow it was not the world's greatest pillow. In fact, I couldn't even use it for more than an hour. It was very uncomfortable, right? So just because a claim is made, don't make it a fact. So you can bring that to the Bible. We can all read the Bible. The Bible claims to be the word of God. The question is, is it actually the word of God? Are there any proofs to the claim that it makes? Once again, I've discussed some of these things, but I will tell you absolutely, yes, there are absolute proofs that the Bible is the word of God. I would say broadly, we're gonna look at this today. There are three Man, there's a lot of proofs, but three broad proofs that the Bible is the word of God, and I just want to walk through them. We're not going to get into all the details, but I do think we can do an overview, all right? First thing I would say this, broadly, the, well, no, not broadly, but the word, the Bible is faithfully translated. Let's begin there. Let's begin there, all right? So here's the pushback that some have, all right? And they're going to do it. It's a, good, it's a good pushback, by the way. I get this. I get this. They go, hey, 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 hey. I can go down, I can go down to the bookstore. I can go to Amazon. I don't know. I can buy the Bible. It can come to me. I got the Bible. I got the Bible. But you know what? The Bible never, none of the Bible, nobody contains, doesn't have the original manuscripts. You know, these aren't the original manuscripts. How can you and I be certain that the Bible that we purchase is actually close to or like the original manuscripts. Meaning, I get God claims that these original manuscripts were his very word, but how can I know that this Bible that I have is actually the word of God? I think that's a great question because we're far removed. There's three 
well, there's many, but three main reasons I believe that we can have confidence that we have the actual, perfect, accurate word of God. And I want to give you the, the reasons. One, all right, the Bible you got. It was written by eyewitnesses. Let's begin there. Oh, eyewitnesses, all right? We studied for six months the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one, verse one says this. Look at this. Long ago, at many times, not like this, look, and in many ways, God spoke. God's been speaking. He's not silent. To our fathers by the prophets. Okay, look at that, many ways. So in the past, many ways God has spoken, and it's true. It's true, many ways. He has dictated sometimes. He has revealed dreams and visions, and oftentimes, the writers were simply eyewitnesses to a movement of God. They were. You get, um, we could do this all day long. You know, Moses, man, Moses. Moses actually saw the Red Sea split. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell down. Samuel was there when, that'd been cool, man. Samuel was there when David, you know, took a stone and he killed Goliath. The disciples were there with Jesus. Look how Luke describes the writing of the Gospels. I just want to read. This is in the Bible. Luke chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. I'm going to read this to you. Check it out. Check it out. This is Luke. Just as those who from the beginning were, here's our word, eyewitnesses, they saw this, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So they saw it, ministered, delivered to us. It seems good to me also Having followed all these things, how do you follow them closely? He's investigated. How long you investigate? He says, for some time past, to write, what you gonna write? An orderly account for you, all right? Most excellent Theopolis, that's who's receiving it. Check this out. That you might have, I love this word, certainty, Christian, that you might have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I want to have certainty that the things that I have been taught are accurate. Luke is saying, I did this, man. I went and got the eyewitnesses, right? Eyewitness interviews. Man, this is not secondhand information. They're not thirdhand information. This isn't legends written down hundreds of years later. They're written, it was written down by eyewitnesses. Right. All right, great. That's good, that's good, that's good, okay. So Luke, many others, you got these eyewitnesses, you wrote it down, you got it. Great, all right? How do we know that it was recorded accurately? Another great question, that leads me to this. It was copied with accuracy, all right? No, no, I get it, 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 man. People will say, you can't really trust the Bible. Man, the Bible being passed down generation after generation and with every generation it's been changed or translated so many times the bible is what unreliable it's like that game like game what's that game the telephone game you play that telephone game you get your buddies i don't know if they do that anymore but we play a game telephone game the buddies one person whispers to one person they whisper to the other person on down the line the final person's supposed to say what they think the first person said and they never write they never write in the bible when the bible just a big old telephone game man big old telephone game every generation just kind of tweaks it that's what they say that's what they say then there's no reliability to it well i don't know about that let's look look at the facts look at the facts let's talk about this um once again, these are things that I believe I've talked about on different occasions, but it's very important to be reminded, okay? The Old Testament copyists were called scribes. And they would, you know, a scroll's gonna wear out. You know, 
care how good your scroll is, the scroll gonna wear out, and you gotta recopy it, all right? Now these, 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 these copyists, these scribes had very specific rules on how they were to copy a specific document, and we could go on into all of that, but we're not going to do that. I'm not gonna give you all the rules they had to follow, because I don't care. I really don't care. I don't care all the rules. What I want to know is what was the result? I mean, did they actually do a good job of copying it? Okay, check this out. We can test them. We're going to test them. I don't care how they did it. I'm just glad they did do it. Look, prior to 1946, 1946, the oldest copy of the Old Testament we, ha- we had was called the Masoretic Text. We got a picture of the Masoretic Text up here, all right? It's from the ninth century. So we're about 1,000 years removed from the Masoretic text. And that's all we got. That's all we got, all right? Then in 1946, something happened. Here's the story. There's this Bedouin shepherd. And this, and this, guy, and this guy's out in the Jordanian desert, and he's shepherding sheep because that's what shepherds do. They shepherd sheep. That's what he's doing. Now, the Jordanian desert... It's a hot place. I've been there several times. It's like hot. It's like, it's like, like, it's like you, you, you take hot and then you multiply. It's a hot, hot place, all right? And so you got this shepherd, this shepherd out there shepherding the sheep back in 1946. And the sheep, 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 sheep. I don't know all about sheep, but they got to be kind of a little, a little sense to him. One of his sheep, maybe it was, you know, a genius sheep. I don't know. But he's like, he's like it's hot. And so one of the sheep go into a cave to get cool, all right? Now, that shepherd, he got a problem. One, he got a sheep up in a cave. Two, it's hot. So in order to go get his sheep, he got to march up to the cave. That shepherd did something that I think many of us have done. Instead of, he's going to shortcut it. Instead of going up into that cave, getting that sheep out, he grabs a rock and he throws it. Man, I don't know. You ever been, you know, try to get a cow to move, man? Once again, Peter, don't be texting me or emailing me, all right? But you, 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 get out of the way, cow. I don't know. That's my grandfather. I, I, I only pet cows. But the deal is, man, take it. You know, I don't get that sheep out of there. He throws the rock into the cave, right? He thought he'd hear a, a sheep, I don't know, whatever sheep yelled and come out. Instead, he heard more of a hollow sound. He realized that he had hit something. It was pottery. So he marches up there. And he sees pottery in this cave. You look inside the pottery, and he found in that pottery manuscripts, Old Testament manuscripts from 2,000 years ago, 300 years before the time of Jesus. We now call them the Dead Sea Scrolls. All right, now check this out, check this out. So this means 1946, we now have copies of the Old Testament. I don't know, 1,000 years earlier, 2,000 years earlier, check my math, guys, I'm not for sure. It was a lot older than the Masoretic text. Now, the world gets hold of this. We got these new copies of the Old Testament, and they, they go crazy. They're sitting there saying this, they're going this, they're going this. We got the Christians now. We got them all. We got them all. Because what we're going to do, we're going to get these 2,000-year-old scrolls. We're going to place them next to the, to the 900-year-old scrolls, and you're going to see vast differences because those copyists, you can't trust them, vast differences, and then we'll be able to go up to Christians and say, look, this Bible is full of fallacies, fairy tales. It's all been made up. But you know what they did? They did that, put them side by side. Guess what? They matched up almost perfectly, perfectly, right? 
95% accuracy. Now, people get upset about the 5, 5%, 5%, 5% mess up. Let me tell you something. Go study the 5% mess up. The 5% mess up mainly consisted of people some of the scribes just spelled things differently than other scribes. I mean, you got the same word, it's spelled a little bit differently. It's, it's basically the same thing. But let me, let me concede this. Let's take away that 5%. Even if you take away that 5%, you lose absolutely none of the meaning, all right? Old Testament, scribes, have got, they copy that stuff down. They copy that stuff down. You get to the New Testament. Let's talk about the New Testament. It's well preserved as well. Thousands of ancient manuscripts of the New Testament have been discovered. The oldest New Testament fragment was discovered in 1930s. 1930s. Got an archaeologist. He discovers a mummy. A mummy. And you go over to Egypt, there's tons of mummies. You can probably buy a mummy on Amazon. I don't know. But listen, this mummy was buried in 115 AD. And it was wrapped in parchment around its head. Some of the parchment was actually the Bible, the Gospel of John, chapter 18. It's called Ryland's Library Papyrus P52. You can look it up. It's been digitally scanned. You can read it. But the significance of this, check it out. The Gospel of John was written in 67 AD. All right? That's only 48 years prior to this individual passing away, I'm guessing they were a believer, having the Bible wrapped around them. Only 48 years difference, all right? And let me tell you something. That passage in John chapter 18 reads identical to the passage you now have in your Bible right now. There is absolutely no difference. Perfect, perfect. Today, there's over 23,000 known copies of New Testament manuscript. Are you serious about that? Yeah, I'm telling you. Here's the question. Here's a question for all the academia. How does the manuscript supporting the New Testament compare to the manuscript supporting other ancient documents like Herodotus, Plato, the Gaelic Wars? Hmm. No, guys, check this stuff. Check this stuff out. Herodotus. The history from Herodotus. There's only 109 known copies. The earliest copy we have is 420 years removed from the actual event. New Testament, 23,000 copies, 48 years removed from the actual event. But nobody questions Herodotus. Nobody questions Herodotus. Interesting, interesting. Plato, same thing, 215 known copies. The earliest one is 500 years removed from the actual event. That stuff's not, that stuff, that stuff's taught in universities. You can get a degree, at least a minor. In Plato, you can. Gaelic Wars, 251 copies, 700 years removed from the actual event. Once again, it's studied, but the Bible New Testament, 23,000 known copies, 48 years from the actual events. And people, people are like, I don't know about New Testament. Don't know about it. Don't know. Man, I've been saying this. I've been saying this for a while now, last two weeks. I'm going to say it again. Here's all I ask. Here's all I ask. Here's all I ask. Give the Bible a fair shake, man. Give, give it a fair shake. At least just be, just be equal, man. Well, you can't do that, though. You can't do that. I'm going to tell you what, why you can't do that. I'll tell you why you can't do that. Because one of two things are going to happen. Either one, you're going to believe the Bible is actually what it claims to be, and you're going to have to bow the knee and worship Jesus. 
or two, you're gonna have to get rid of Aristotle, Plato, Tacitus, Homer, and the Gaelic Wars. They're just history. I mean, if you apply to them the same amount that you apply to the New Testament, the burden on them, they're, they're worthless. That's okay, it's okay. Third thing I would say is it was validated by Jesus, the Bible, it's validated by Jesus. Now I get it, I get it, that only works for Christians. It only works for Christmas. Christians, how do I know the, the Old Testament is real? Jesus validated it. Well, the non-Christian, it doesn't matter. But I'm gonna say something here. This is just my shout out to Christians. I just gonna shout out. Once again, you can, you can text and email me because I may not read it. Listen, you got Christians, and I love you, brothers and sisters, and I don't know if any of you are here that would say this, but there are many Christians who'll sit there and say, I love me some Jesus, but I don't believe in the historicity of Genesis. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus believed in the historicity of Genesis. I am sorry if modern science has got all up in your head and you're too ashamed to believe what Jesus believed. All I'm saying is Jesus said the Old Testament was fact, right? He says it was, what does he say? He says, he says, thus it is written, as it is written, again it is written. He said, Jesus said, hey guys, Jonah, he got ate by a big fish. Jesus says that. Matthew 19, Jesus says God created everything. Jesus says it's historical. Jesus says it's a literal. It's literal. Jesus says it's true. So you got a problem. You got, you got a problem. Either Jesus lying to us or it's true. I think Jesus telling the truth and I think it's literal and I think it's right. So I would say Jesus validates it. Jesus validates it. Listen, listen, listen. I don't, I mean, Guys, come on, man. You know, the news media cannot unvalidate what Jesus has validated. Your high school, college professor cannot with all of the whatever he's gonna bring at you. Ugh, you know, you got all of this. Uh, I don't know, man. You, you can't unvalidate what Jesus done said. Jesus done said it. It's true. That's, what, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Okay, that's it. All right, that's what we got. All right, so we're starting there. All right. The Bible is faithfully translated. There's three reasons for you. All right. Second thing, broadly about the Bible, I would say, the Bible is historically accurate, 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 accurate. Here's what I mean. The Bible was written over a span of time, 1,500 years, roughly. 40 generations, 40 authors, three different languages, three continents, all right? But there's only one story, you know what I'm saying? There's only one story, Jesus. It, all, it is all about Jesus, okay? You know, that is the Bible, 66 books, all about Jesus, now, the Bible was not written in a historical vacuum, meaning as Jonah was being swallowed by a fish, other historical events were happening. Happening. You got culture, you got cities, you got words, and it should all line up. It's called histor historical synchronism. That's what it's called. Historical synchronism means if a book claims to be written in the Middle Bronze Age, it should contain within that book Middle Bronze Age words, it should contain Middle Bronze Age culture, and it should contain Middle Bronze Age cities and geography, all right? It should. If it says, if the book says Middle Bronze Age, Late Bronze Age, Iron Age 1, it should be, it should be, be testable, all right? That's historical synchronism, all right? That's fair. So how does the Bible stack up to historical synchronism? Well, just a few. It is, the Bible, geographically precise. There's over 25,000 archaeological sites 
And they all prove some detail of the Bible. There is, there is, there is, there is. Someone can come argue with me, not tonight you can, or today, but you can email me, whatever. It's cool. You can argue with me. That's great. There is no legitimate contradictions to be found, all right? And so there's just some examples I want to give you. Some just, there's 25,000. I'm not going to give you 25,000 examples. I'm going to give you three examples. These may not be the best examples, but they are my favorite examples, all right? First, Hittites. During the time of Abraham, when you get the Pentateuch, the first five books, you hear about the Hittites. Back in the day, not too long ago, there was no documentation of the Hittites outside the Bible. No, 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 not a Hittite. It was a Hittite. Hittite, Hittite's a made-up word in that made-up book about a made-up God and made-up people sitting there doing a made-up thing. That's what they do every Sunday, something made up. No, 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 Hittites. But then in, I don't know, it was about 18, 1880, 1880, got some guys over in what's modern day Turkey and they dig up some tablets translate the tablets and the tablets said what the city said land of the Hatati what it said the people of Hattusas what now they discovered this great kingdom of Hittites you can study them you can go see their cities and now you're like oh the Bible's true it's weird. The world's like this. We will validate the Bible as long as I find something that validates it outside of it. The Bible said there's Hittites. And now they're like, okay, we'll give those Hittites. All right. Another one would be the city of Ai. Ai is the second city conquered by Joshua. And it would be what, what would be Joshua chapter, chapter 8. And um, I, was, I was blessed to visit Kerbet El Makater. That is biblical Ai. It's just kind of a. I don't know, it runs, right? And I kid you not, God, I kid you not. I right, take, take out Joshua chapter eight, go to the highest point, I'm reading, I'm reading Joshua chapter eight. And you can read it. As you're reading it, you literally see the lay of the land. It has been historically accurately detailed. You see, it's all right there. There's a third example. Is, once again, not the best examples. They're just my favorite examples. All right, so... You get in uh, Old Testament, they got, this, they got this valley called the Valley of Elah and there's a brook in it. Now, but way back in the day, way back in the day, man, there is a battle there. You got the Philistines and they're, and they're fighting the, the Israelites. Philistines had this big old tall dude named Goliath, probably some ugly looking dude. I don't know, he's big, he's big, all right? He went down the valley, you got the brook, you got David, this little dude. He picks up five stones from the brook. You know the story. He goes down. Well, I'm sitting there, I'm like, dude, I want to go to the valley of Elah. Guess what? You can. You just say, hey, taxi, take me to the valley of Elah. And you get there, and you're like, hey, can I hike down there? Sure you can. Look, there's a brook there. That's great. Look, there's a rock there. Look, I'm taking it home. It's real, man. It's real. Now, I'm not saying this is the exact rock that took down, you know, Goliath. It could be. It could be, you know. <laughs> There's a greater probability that this hit Goliath than, you know, the rocks in my backyard. Well, there you go. It's real, man. It's real. It's, it's real. All right. Anyway, geographically precise. It's also culturally correct. I don't know, man. We're going to get out of here at some time, but I love this stuff. The books in the Bible that claim to be written in the Middle Bronze Age show evidence that they're written in the Middle Bronze Age. 
Those were in the Iron Age, Iron Age, Hellenistic, it's all there. Um, I got another example I want to show you here. Um, this is New Testament. This is New Testament, New Testament. This is not lost on any of you. Um, every generation, you know this, have their favorite baby names. You can go Google this, right? So, you, and they change. In the 1900s, favorite baby name for a girl is Ethel. Ethel. 1930s, Dorothy. 1990s, no, you Google, yeah, this is Google, dude. This is Google, argue with them. 1990, favorite girl named Brittany, favorite boy named Justin, I don't know why. Anyway, 2017, Sophia and Grayson. All right. What if you applied that to the Bible? What if you look, go back, and you look at favorite baby names, and you can do this, most prominent baby names in each different time period, how would they match up? Here's the interesting thing. If you go back and you look at the documents from the first century in Palestine, Judaism, you will see that the favorite baby names line up identically, same percentage-wise as the names used in the Bible, right? New Testament. Here's my question. If it was written 100 years earlier, how would they know? Like if I ask you guys, if I ask you, if I ask you to write me a story from 1900, how many of you are gonna make everyone meet all the girls named Ethel? None of you, unless you Google, you're not. There's no way 100 years removed someone will be knowing all the exact precise breakdown of the names 100 years earlier. Anyway, next I'd say it's chronically true. And I hope, chronologically true, chronologically true. There you go. That's a hard word to spell. I'm glad it's spelled correctly, <laughs> you know. Um, and I hope I'm staying on, am I staying online on this outline? Good, good, because sometimes I forget there is an outline. <laughs> it's chronologi chron chronologically true. Chronologic. That's a five-syllable word. <laughs> By contract, I'm only supposed to use four-syllable words. <laughs> Let me just go over this real quick. Many apologetics does not get into this, but this is the stuff, and I've shared this with you. There's a guy named, a guy named Dr. Kenneth Kitchen. He wrote a book called On the Reliability of the Old Testament. He did some really cool stuff. I want to show this to you. I want to show this to you. Um, first, you got the cost of slaves. All right, Genesis 37, 38, we're told that Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, shekels, all right? We also know the Bible claims that that happened in the Middle Bronze Age, specifically Middle Bronze Age 2B, if you take it literally, 1700 BC. What Dr. Kitchen did was this, he went to the Middle Bronze Age, that specific 2B, 1700, he got all the ancient Near East documents that were available, right? And then he looked at what was the sell price of slaves in that time period. Guess what it was? 20 shekels, 20 shekels. Here's my question. How could that be written years later? How could it be written even in the late Bronze Age? How is someone in the late Bronze Age going to know the economics of the Middle Bronze Age unless they were actually in the Middle Bronze Age? Man, I couldn't even, man, I couldn't even tell you what the price of gas was two years ago because it's, I, I'm stuck on what it is today. You know what I'm saying? It matches stuff. It all matches. It all matches. It happened when it said it was happened. Another one is treaties, laws, and covenants. Real quick, we can do this all day long. Treaty, laws, and covenants. You got treaties, you got laws, and you got covenants all through the Old Testament. Each one of them were written in different time periods. You got it written from uh, 
middle bronze, you got late bronze, Iron Age, Iron Age one, Iron Age two, Hellenistic. You got this whole time period. It just so happens that covenants changed over time so that a middle bronze age covenant did not look like a late bronze covenant, did not look like an Iron Age one covenant. Dr. Kitchen did the exact same thing. He took all the covenant treaties from the Near East that are available to us right now. He laid them out. He color coordinated them. In all, it doesn't matter how he did it. He laid them all together and guess what? In the Bible, when you got a middle bronze age two be legal document, it matches up identically to how a middle bronze age two B document looks in all the ancient Near East. You go to Iron Age one, they're all the same. Once again, you cannot do this internally in any document unless you're actually writing it in the time that you said you were writing it. Legal, I mean, how can you do that? How can you know what the legal system's like 100 years removed unless you were there? You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. That's the confidence of the Bible. The Bible is historically accurate. Boom, that's it. You can email me anytime you want to. I can talk to you about it more. Final thing, and we'll go fast here. The Bible is prophetically inspired. All right. Oh, we're going to run out of time. Bible makes some, Bible's got prophets. Prophets do what? Make prophecies. You got these predictions. And if you make a prediction, so the Bible makes predictions. The question is, is the prediction true? And if it's true, the Bible's true. If it's false, the Bible's false. So how does this all stack up? How does this all stack up? Well, real quick, you guys know this, but every prophecy in the Bible, big, small, or medium, have all been 100% fulfilled every time. We're not even talking about missing. Man, it's so bad, man. The Bible's so, the Bible's so accurate. People today sit there and say, that had to be written past tense because there's no way they could know well Cyrus for example the name of Cyrus or anyone like that once again though it contains the proper documentation and the proper economics it was written at that time but let's do this real quick a guy named what's his name what's his name um Peter Stoner he is a mathematician he did kind of what Kenneth Kitchen did Dr. Kitchen did with mathematics he took Eight prophets, just eight, eight, eight prophecies about Jesus in the New Testament. He crunched the numbers to see what were the probability that any one individual could fulfill all eight. Here's what he said. We find that the chances that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in the 10th to the 157th power. That's a lot. That is one, well, I, I wrote it down, but it's one chance in a trillion, 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 13 times. Trillion, 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 trillion. In other words, it is mathematically impossible. But it happened. You know what I'm saying? It happened. Jesus fulfilled them all. So, the Bible's true. The Bible can be trusted. Oh, maybe you go, so what? So what, so what, so what, so what, so what? Well, you know, you can get all this information and still miss the point. I don't want you to miss the point. What's the point? I told you earlier, all 66 books are, are about one thing, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Let me summarize the whole Bible for you rapidly. You ready? Genesis 
tells us our need for Jesus. The law sets the foundation for Jesus. Kings, Chronicle, Judges is a preparation for Jesus. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms, the longing for Jesus. Prophets, the expectation of Jesus. Gospels, the coming of Jesus. Acts, the continuation of Jesus. The epistles, the commands of Jesus. Revelation, the consummation of Jesus. The question is not, is the Bible reliable and true? Because it is. The question is, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you enjoy Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? Do you set your events and days around Jesus? Because my friend is all about him. It always has been and it always will be. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that it is a revelation your breath, out breath to us, for us, for your glory. And I pray that we would take it seriously. I pray we have people who don't worship the Bible, but we worship the God of the Bible and we learn about you through the Bible. Let us be a Bible-knowing people. Let us not be an emotionally, I don't know, driven or, or scenario-driven. Let us be a a man, a Bible-based, Jesus-loving, driven people seeking your glory in our city, in our lives, and in our world. And we ask this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen, guys. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.